before we do our reading, without looking at your notes, uh, what city did we begin looking at last week where Paul was preaching? You gotta get ready for these quizzes each week. It has two, two names. Pisidian Antioch, that's right. That's different than the, the other Antioch, if you will, which is far to the east of Pisidian Antioch. Well, our text today will be Acts 13, 24 through 33, but let's pick it up at um, Acts 13 and verse 13 and read through 43. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you 
the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to, to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. As Barnabas, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we find Paul and Barnabas and maybe some others with them heading to Pisidian Antioch, and that's the title, uh, Preaching at the at Pisidian Antioch, Part 2. Uh, and God willing, we'll conclude this section next week. But we find that Saul, or Paul, in his sermon, is going all the way back to the Exodus, to around 1400 B.C., He's taking these Israelites, these people in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch, way back in time to review their history. And he goes all the way back to the Exodus to, to show them what God did for Israel. And he covers uh, their wandering in the wilderness and giving the land of destroying their enemies and how they inherited the land from God. Uh, and then all the way to the judges and even to David around 1,000 B.C., so almost 500 years. And then he fast-forwards all the way to the time of John the Baptist and then Christ our Savior. So he gives a fast overview of their history. And there was there's many things that we can learn as he's preaching, but let's keep in our minds that he's preaching to the Jews at the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. And he's seeking to persuade them to believe in the Lord Jesus, the true son of David. We, we suggested an outline of Paul's sermon in this way. Israel chosen by God, verses 17 through 22. That's Israel chosen by God. And then secondly, Jesus, the promise of God, in verses 23 through 37. And then finally, believers forgiven by God, verses 38 through 41, uh, loosely but definitely covering Israel, 
Jesus and then the call to believe in Jesus. We're picking it up at verse 24. After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, verse 25, and while John was completing or finishing or fulfilling his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. John is here proclaiming. We've seen this this word proclaimed before, and we, we pray for Keruso, a Bible church in Pune, India. What does Keruso mean besides Tom? Preach, proclaim, or herald. Uh, the king is coming. And, and how appropriate for the gospel that King Jesus was coming. John, uh, really the last prophet, greater than a prophet, he was proclaiming, the king is coming. The king is coming. And he was preaching this baptism of repentance that people should repent and be baptized and look forward to the king that was coming, that is, King Jesus. And who was his message to? What does the verse say? The people of Israel. And and where was he preaching? In a synagogue, which was the people of Israel. So he's reminding them again that even all the way for 1,500 years, God was doing a work in the Exodus and, and through David, and then finally through John the Baptist, the last of the prophets, if you will. And they were all, he was, he was using this to reason with the people of Israel. God had first come, Christ had come to the people of Israel. And it reveals the patience of God again, that for 1500 years, God was so patient. And, and even now, after Christ had come, and, and died and was resurrected, he was reminding the Jews of all that God had did for them as a people, revealing, as we saw last time, the patience of God. And I think even now that even this prophet John was, was preaching and saying the king is coming, and, and they thought that he, uh, was he the one to come? No, he said, I'm not. And I thought it would be good if we remind ourselves twice here, he says, I am not he, and then I am not worthy. And I love the, the person, the character, the study even of John the Baptist. But we could think about John. Maybe we could learn in the first place. Uh, let us live with the mindset that it's not about us. And John the Baptist had this mindset. Remember, uh, he said in John 3, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He comes from above. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John got it. And he said, of course, I'm not the Messiah. And actually, not only am I not the Messiah, I'm not even unworthy to untie his shoes. What a lowly job for people that wore sandals and their their feet were dirty. And I'm not even worthy to touch those dirty feet. John knew his position before Christ. He was humble. He was lowly. And he knew that it was not about him. And even today, we can say it's not about us. It's not about the preachers. It's not about the pastors. It's not about you and me. It's about Christ. And may our lives be 
consumed and subsumed, if you will, with this mindset, he must increase, but I must decrease. And it's a beautiful verse, but boy, it's difficult to practice that, isn't it? To have the mind of John that it's not about us. Uh, we love to be celebrated, and uh, we, we love to bless one another, but it's not about us. It's about Christ. May we imitate our brother uh, John the Baptist in this way. And even uh, Paul is proclaiming to the Israelites and mentioning the ministry of John. He was not the Messiah. And he even said, I'm not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. Verse 26, his personal appeal at the synagogue continues. Verse 26, brethren, brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. He's speaking to his fellow Jews, the physical descendants of Abraham, the God-fearing proselytes who were there, and he's appealing to them personally as a fellow Jew, and he says, listen to me, listen and learn, because this, this message is for us. It's to the Jew first. Jesus came he, from the Jews. He was a Jew. This message of salvation has come to us. It's very personal. It is very much for this synagogue right here, all of you people who are descendants of Abraham, <clears throat> according to the flesh. Jesus was born of you and he came as your Savior. This salvation has been sent to us first, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. We'll see their reaction later in this chapter. But he's appealing to them. The message of salvation has come to us. He's pleading with them, as he says elsewhere, to be reconciled to God. And he's using this personal and even ethnic and religious appeal to the Jews, his countrymen. He said, I, I started with Abraham I, and even back to Moses and David, but now bringing it right to the present, here is Jesus, the Messiah. This message of salvation, this the word of salvation, soterios, we get the word soteriology, the study of salvation, the message of salvation, it has been sent and one author calls this a divine passive. This message has been sent by God. It's not from men. It's from God. It's a divine passive. The message has been sent to Israel. What could we learn? Paul is preaching to these Jews, but let us, in the second place, be reminded let us tell others this message of salvation in Jesus alone. The apostles were preaching the word to the Jews, but we also let us tell others this message of salvation in Jesus alone. And that's what Paul will do. He, he starts with the Jews, but he will then go and spread the gospel among the Gentiles, and even we ourselves are recipients. Let us do the same. I thought of the song that we sing, Jesus Saves. And it says, spread the tidings all around, Jesus Saves. We have this same 
message of salvation to tell others about. And we want, we'll learn more about what we should tell, what uh, specific parts of the message, but there is a message of salvation that we tell others about. We spread the tidings all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You may not be a preacher, but you can spread the good news. You can tell a friend. You can tell a family member. You can point others to Jesus who is the Savior. Well, Paul continues his message in verse 27. Verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognize neither him, that is Jesus, nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfill these by condemning him. Now he's going to look back for a few moments about those who connived and put Jesus to death. Those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, that is the high priest, the chief priest, the Sanhedrin, and even the rulers of the day, They heard Jesus preach. They rejected him. They were always looking for an opportunity to catch him and put him to death until the appointed time. And even, not only did they not recognize Jesus and the preaching of Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am, yet they also heard every week on their Sabbath All from reading the prophets and the law, they heard that one was coming. And they didn't recognize that that one had come. That the son of David had actually arrived. The son of man had come that had been prophesied. They kept hearing about Jesus every week in the the prophecies of Scripture from Genesis to Malachi. Yet, they did not recognize him. They did not acknowledge him. They didn't believe in him. What could we learn? What could you learn? Beware, lesson three, you can be so close to Jesus and not know him at all. You can be so close. They heard him preach. They heard the message. They saw the miracles. Maybe they even ate some of the loaves that he had multiplied, yet they didn't believe. They heard the prophecies from the Pentateuch, from the prophets, from the Psalms, yet they did not believe. They were so close. They knew all about Jesus. They heard him preach. They heard the prophecies, yet they didn't recognize him. They were so close. And those words where Jesus really uh, rebuked them in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. They kept hearing the scripture read in their synagogues and they heard it explained. I don't know how well it was explained, but they heard the scriptures read. The scrolls were opened. Even as this day, they they went to the synagogue and they heard the prophets read. But the majority did not recognize that it was Jesus they spoke about. Even in this time of Christmas, many people delight to have the nativity, uh, a manger scene, even in the town. I grew up in the, in the middle of the town. They had a massive manger scene and they had a parade and they did all sorts of things as to a degree goes on today with less religion. But many would recognize baby Jesus, 
I think most Americans probably know the song Away in a Manger, but to most of those people even recognize who Jesus is, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And and, and in a sense, around Christmas time, even though it's a time of fun and, and beauty and remembering our Lord, it can be, for some of us, a time of grief as we see so many people who are so close to hearing about Jesus yet do not recognize him. The C&E Christians who go to a church on Christmas only because that's what they do. You can be so close and yet so far. And these Jews, the majority of them that heard Jesus in person, heard him prophesied, did not know him at all. And it's possible that people can grow up in the church and we've seen them and we've wept over them even now who heard about Jesus their whole lives yet until this point deny him. So beware, you can be so close to Jesus and yet not know him at all. Let's make sure that we know Jesus as he is revealed in the Bible and not be like many of these Jews who put him to death. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, even children. You can grow up in the church and be so close and know all these hymns and stories and memorize verses, yet not know Jesus. It's sobering to consider the Jews and even ourselves that we maybe knew about Christ for a large portion of our lives, yet didn't acknowledge him as Lord. Well, these people not only didn't recognize him, but it says they fulfilled what was written in the scriptures. They not only didn't believe, but they fulfilled these. See it there in verse 27 at the end. They fulfilled these. What are these? The prophecies. And and he just said, The prophets, yes, the prophets gave their prophecies. They didn't uh, recognize Jesus, but by not recognizing Jesus, they fulfilled the Scripture. More of that in verse 29. In between, we have verse 28, beginning to look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Verse 28, And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed and your margin may have the note as mine destroyed they wanted to destroy jesus it's horrifying it's easy to read over these words but it's horrifying they found no legal ground to put him to death he was morally innocent yet they demanded his death this was prophesied jesus and we'll read in in the worship service psalm 22 verse 6 But I am a reproach of men and despised by the people. That's what was prophesied, that they would despise him and they they were planning and conniving to put him to death, even though there was no ground for it. Isaiah 55, 3, he was despised and forsaken of men. They found no reason to put him to death, yet to put him to death, yet they asked Pilate to kill him. And those horrible words, even when he wanted, they, Pilate wanted to release him, what did they cry out? Crucify him, crucify him. It's grievous. We, we are shocked 
by the innocent Jesus. And, and the Bible tells us there was, there was no reason. Even Pilate deduced there was nothing in him worthy of death. We should be shocked. And, and one of my favorite hymns, as we even think of the Lord's Supper, is by Keith Getty. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary. This is the power of the cross that our Savior, they had no ground for putting him to death, yet they asked Pilate to destroy him. It's dark. That's one reason uh, the Lord's Supper is, is on the one hand a celebration, but it's also a sobering reminder what our Savior had to go through. Being completely innocent, yet they would execute him, destroy him, so they thought. Verse 29, and Paul's going back to what he began there in verse 27, fulfilled these. Verse 29, when they carried out all that was written, when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. They planned to kill Christ and their plan was a success, in quotes. They put him to death. But hold on a second. Their plan was carried out, but what also was carried out? The plan that was written concerning him. The plan that was written, we said it from Genesis 3.15 to Malachi 4, all that was written about Jesus, that he would have to die for sinners, that, that the lamb would have to be slain. It was all written, and they were carrying it out. Psalm 22 again, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Was this scripture fulfilled at the cross? Yes. Psalm 22 was perfectly fulfilled, he, even the specifics of piercing his hands and his feet. Paul is arguing and preaching to the Jews in the Pisidian Antioch synagogue that, that those people that killed Jesus were actually fulfilling the Scripture. Isaiah 53 again, verse 8. He had to be cut off from the land of the living. He had to go to the cross and die, yet these wicked men carried it out. Well, whose plan was it? Was it the wicked Jews that killed Jesus or something else? Peter preached in Acts 4 that this was all to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Yes, it was by the hands of wicked men, yet it was according to the Scripture and the purpose of God. Lesson four, stand amazed that even the sins of men accomplish the purpose of God. Stand amazed that even the sins of men, the very men who carried out all that was written in Scripture to put Jesus on the cross, that those sins accomplished the purpose of God. That is beyond finding out. How could it be that the wicked men would accomplish God's purposes? I think the practical application is we stand amazed, we worship, we adore God, we adore Christ, who even in the triune God's plan and purpose that the Father elected, that the, the Son would come and die for, that the Spirit would apply Christ's work to, 
that it was all according to the purpose of the triune God that Christ would come and die by the hands of sinful men. It's, we can only worship God. We can adore God in his sovereignty, the purpose that he had for Christ. Even Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. That can be hard to swallow. But by faith, we, we have to embrace the truth of Scripture, that the death of Christ was ordained by God. It was according to the purpose of God. They carried out all that was written, all that was prophesied and purposed to accomplish God's will. All that was written. We can skim over those words, but let us pause and and be amazed that the purpose of God was accomplished in the death of Christ by the hands of wicked men according to the purpose of God. Also, it says, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Well, maybe your mind already thought about, well, hold on a second. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus actually took Christ to the tomb. We can chew on what does this mean. Uh, We might think of uh, how Pilate tried to secure the tomb even more by putting extra guards, maybe more stones, but... The, the main gist is, of course, Jesus died, went to the tomb. Uh, t- they took him down. They took him to the tomb, and he was buried. It's not going into, at this point, the specifics of who, but ultimately it was all carried out by the decree and purpose of God, whether by those that hated Christ or those that were disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Verse 30, they and their rulers did all those things We started the passage, God did this, he did this, he did that, he purposed this. Then we said, but those rulers, they did this, the Jews did this, they accomplished this, they asked for his execution, they carried it out, they murdered Christ. But verse 30, but God. Some of you have heard Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon on Ephesians 2.8. It's a great message, but God. And this is one of those amazing passages, verse 30 of Acts 13, but God raised him from the dead. So they had connived, they had planned, they had seeming success that they killed Jesus. But verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And verse 31, for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. So, we, we covered the death of Christ. Now we're at the resurrection of Christ because God raised him from the dead. And not only did he just raise him and he was immediately went to heaven. No, for many days he appeared to all those witnesses, those people, those disciples and apostles who were with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they were giving testimony. There were The apostles were preaching and others, but the people that knew about it were saying, I saw him. He appeared. He was alive for all these days. Lesson five. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are indispensable to the gospel message. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are indispensable to the gospel message. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. These truths are of 
first importance. They must come first. We cannot uh, skip them. We cannot dismiss them. We much, we must stand firm that Jesus really died on a cross, that he was really buried, and that he was truly resurrected. We must hold firm for our entire Christian lives, and we must make sure that our message never airs, well, well, maybe he didn't really die, or maybe he wasn't really buried, or was he really resurrected? No. These truths are indispensable. We know this, but it, it's a reminder, as Paul was preaching to the Jews, the nuts and bolts, the message hasn't changed. We still embrace and believe and teach and proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They, those truths are indispensable. And if we compromise and stop believing them, what happens to the gospel then? It's cut up. It's parsed. It's, it's become of a, a falsehood. We would be liars if Jesus is not raised, as Paul speaks of in Corinthians. We would be lying. Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. That's the good news. We need all of those components. That's not all we talk about. We can talk about other aspects of Christ's work, but we surely cannot deny that these are of first importance. And even as we speak to our neighbors and our friends and our relatives, and we get down to nuts and bolts about Jesus, we must tell them about his death, burial, and resurrection. If someone is to become a Christian and they don't even know about, how would they become a Christian if they don't know about Jesus' death for sinners, his resurrection for sinners, his even ascension for sinners, and even now interceding? We must lay hold of and continue to embrace firmly and never let go of these truths in the way we evangelize, in the way we spread the gospel. They're not optional truths that, as some people, could cast beads in the so-called Jesus seminar. Did Jesus say this or do this? No, it's not optional. They are of first importance, have been and will be to the very end. We cannot compromise, and we will not by the grace of God. By the way, those witnesses, do you remember how many people witnessed the resurrection at least? 500, 500 people at least, plus the apostles and others that are mentioned, 500 brethren at one time witnessed the resurrection and they went out and they, as they were scattered, told, I saw him. He was resurrected. They were witnesses and witnesses were very important in, in the Jewish history. They had to have witnesses to the truth. Even today, we, we need to have in a court trial witnesses. Well, there were and there are these witnesses, hundreds of them, who saw our resurrected Lord. Can you imagine? (laughs) They were shocked when he died. Imagine even, well, they couldn't believe it. Even those that had believed in him were so shocked when they saw him. they They were spellbound. Could it be, this is our Lord? Let us take our minds back to what it must have been like to see Jesus die on the cross and then a few days later see him resurrected. By faith, we see him as well. Glorious truth. Verse 32. 
verse 32, Paul begins the to interpret and to apply these truths to his hearers at the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. Verse 32, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son today. I have begotten you. We preach to you the good news. It's one word in the Greek. We preach to you the good news. F.F. Um, F. Bruce points out that this, this preaching has three objects. It is, we're preaching to you, object number one, the promise, object number two, and to the fathers, object number three. We preach to you this, this good news. The preaching and good news, it's all one word. We're proclaiming this good news of the promise. And it's interesting, I couldn't find anything in the commentaries, but this word for to preach good news and the promise have similar roots. And maybe there's even a play on words here, a rhyming of the good news and the promise. I'm not sure. You can research it further. Ask Tom, I'm sure he could help us. Um, but a profound interpretation and application of all that he said about how they put Jesus to death. God caused him to be, uh, to, to bring him back to life, to be resurrected. And Paul and Barnabas and others are preaching to you. We preach to you this good news of the promise made to the fathers all the way back at the beginning of Abraham and all the way up until then, even to the children then, to every all of those Jews, God made a promise to, to give them a king, the son of David, the promised one, the Messiah, Christos, the anointed one. God made a promise. And then it says this promise was fulfilled. Apparently a unique word, only here used. God fulfilled that promise. Lesson six, and similar to last week. Rejoice. Jesus is the promised good news. Rejoice. Jesus is the promised good news. Last time we said, rejoice. Jesus is the promised seed of David. It's very close, but here, Jesus is the promised good news. Without Jesus, there is no good news. Without Jesus, the promise has not yet been fulfilled. God promised, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 2 Samuel 7.13 They were waiting on someone from the line of David to come, and he did. King Jesus, the son of David. It was a promise to the fathers and to their children. The Davidic promise was fulfilled in Jesus. Now here it says that he raised up Jesus. He's been talking about the resurrection. Is this raising up? And as you look at this passage and compare it with previous and the following verses, it could take on a different meaning, possibly. He raised up Jesus because, or compare with number one, Romans 1, 4. Jesus, who was declared the Son of God with power, by the resurrection from the dead. 
we know that Jesus was resurrected and declared the Son of God, which we'll see in the next verse, uh, by the resurrection. But verse 22 said, if you look back, verse 22, and after God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king. So there could be a parallel here with David that God not only resurrected Jesus, but that he exalted and raised Jesus to be on this throne of David forever and ever and ever. I think it's it's probably a both and because of the following verse, uh, which he quotes Psalm 2, you are my son. So it takes on a little different perspective, um, not only the resurrection, which he'll come back to in the next verse. So there's maybe a piling up of meaning of ideas, not only the resurrection, but raised up and exalted as David was. Now Jesus is being the exalted son of David. As And I think the, the reason that I would emphasize that second part is, in the words in our verse here, as it is also written. And it's not really a verse about resurrection. As it is also written in Psalm 2-7, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The eternal generation of the son, the exaltation of Jesus, the son of David, yet God the son. Thinking of Psalm 110, and you can meditate on Psalm 2 as we've mentioned it many times. Maybe Tom will even, there's a lot of overlap in Matthew 1 with our passage today. Um, but Jesus was exalted in his resurrection and he was raised up by God the Father and exalted as the son of David. The fulfillment of all those prophecies that you will have one to sit on your throne. Psalm 2-7, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The father credentialed the son surely in his resurrection, but even from his birth, even at his baptism, this is my son. And Hebrews 1, the, the revelation from the son. It's a deep verse. And surely the Jews that were listening had remembered by the power of the Spirit all those prophecies about the son of David, and they were looking for that Messiah King, the son of David, and here he was. And this promise was being proclaimed to them that Jesus was that son to sit on the throne of David forever. And that that same psalm says that the nations will be given as his inheritance. He was exalted to the degree that the nations were given to him and he sat down at the right hand of God when he ascended and he rules and reigns forever and ever. Yes, there's the now and not yet, but he is on the throne. He is the unique Son of God resurrected by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Father. Much to meditate upon and I look forward to our, our study in Matthew 1 today, more about these very truths of the prophecy of the Son of David, the Messiah, the Anointed One, to come fulfilled in Jesus. When review, and then if you have any comments or questions, lesson one, let us live like John the prophet with the mindset that it's not about us. Even today, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. May our lives be consumed 
that we must decrease, that Christ would increase. We sing, uh, I think, may the mind of Christ, may they not see me, but seeing only him. Lord, use us in such a way that people would see not us, but Christ in us. Lesson two, let us tell others this message of salvation in Jesus alone. Let us be diligent in our evangelism to tell our neighbors, our co-workers, as God would allow opportunities that they might even ask the reason of the hope within us. Why are you joyful? In the, why are you joyful? It's the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus. How was your weekend? Let me tell you what we studied in church, in my church. I was so encouraged with the good news of Jesus. I know, you pro- you know you're telling your coworker, or your friend this. Yeah, you know about Christmas, that Jesus was born. Well, it gets even better. He lived and died on the cross for sinners and he was resurrected. Let me tell you that gospel. Let us be about evangelism, telling others about our Savior. Three, beware. You can be so close to Jesus, yet not know him at all. May it be none of us in this room that you've heard and known about Jesus your whole life, yet not know him at all. As many of the Jews, who even the ones that crucified him, they heard his message, they heard the prophets, yet their ears were plugged. Fourth, Stand amazed that even the sins of men can accomplish the purpose of God. Even those wicked men who connived and were planning, even Judas accomplished the purpose of God. God's sovereignty rules over all. His his understanding is infinite. It's inscrutable. Fifth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are indispensable to the gospel message We might think we don't even need to say it. Of course, we believe that. Let us keep believing it. Let us keep reminding ourselves, even in the Lord's Supper, our Savior actually had to die. He really died, and he was really resurrected. There's a quote by Spurgeon. I I didn't have time to look it up on the resurrection. Let the joy bells ring. Jesus has arisen. It's the reason we meet on Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. We say we believe these truths, but do they affect our heart? Are we stirred in our emotions and our intellect to really rejoice? We're gathering on the Lord's Day because Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. I ask myself, do I even care? Do do I even get excited about it? Yes, amen. By God's grace, not as we should, but we are excited to be here. You're here. Praise the Lord. We're here to... Honor our Lord Jesus and all that he did. Finally, six, rejoice. Jesus is the promised good news. We give out the bad news, good news tracts. What an honor that we could say, there's bad news. You need to know the bad news, but there is good news. There is great news that Jesus died for sinners, was resurrected for sinners. The death, burial, and resurrection. He is the promised one who is to come. May we, may we be diligent to rejoice in him and again to tell others. Well, time is, uh, still have a few moments. Do you have any questions or comments this morning? Yes, sister. Yes. 
Yes, I mean, the triune God was involved in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's hard to get our minds around which person of the Godhead is is doing what. Um, at creation, at the resurrection, but yes, good verse. Thank you. Yes, sweetie. Yes, amen. There's so much in the death, burial, and resurrection, the prophecies that ultimately God, God, Isaiah 53, the greatest stroke was the stroke that God gave, and to be able to explain that to cults or, or the world or anyone that asks and to persuade them with the evidence of the Bible, ultimately it's by faith we understand, of course, and may God grant that as we speak to our Muslim friends or neighbors or whoever they are. Yes. Anything else? Okay. Yes, I read that passage this week that John the Baptist told the Jews, if you're not going to believe, God can raise up others. And I take that to mean the Gentiles that were nearby. Um, you know, I think, and he obviously this passage is going to show, okay, you had your opportunity. You don't believe. We're turning to the Gentiles. Not that Jews can't be saved, but Uh, A sober warning to the Jews, yes. Okay, let's conclude with prayer. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who fulfilled the promise, was the fulfillment, the true Son of David, yet the Son of God. May we love you and embrace you and worship you and adore you and proclaim you to others. Father, may we be faithful to speak of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection without ever being ashamed, Lord, of being fearful. Forgive us of that, and may we have winsomeness and humility. May we have the mind of John that Christ must increase and we must decrease. Father, change us, even as we study uh, this message of Paul to the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch. There's so much here in the history of your word and the prophecies of the Bible, the fulfillment in Christ. May each one believe and lay hold of Christ as their Lord and Savior. Again, may the gospel go forth today here and around the world that Christ would be exalted. Amen.